and made a face. Ooh, you're all wet. Amy wiped away the sweat she'd transferred from her cheek to Taylor's. Mommy's truck has a little fever. Graham says you should just sell that heap of junk. Never, said Amy. Her mother used to own that heap of junk. It was about the only thing she'd managed to come away with in the divorce. That and her daughter. She lowered Taylor to the ground. Graham came up from behind them, nearly panting as she spoke. For goodness sakes, you're an absolute stick. Have you been living on nothing but caffeine again? Get inside and let me fix you something to eat. The threesome walked hand in hand across the parking lot, with Taylor swinging like a monkey between them. Home again, Mommy's home again, said Taylor in a sing-song voice. Amy inserted the key and opened the door. Home was a simple two-bedroom, one-bath apartment. Amy dropped her suitcase at the door. Well, let me get started in the kitchen, said Graham. Your mail's on the table, Amy, along with your phone messages. She disappeared down the hall right on Taylor's heels. Amy crossed the room to the table. A week's worth of mail was stacked neatly in piles. Personal, bills, and junk. In the bona fide junk pile, a package caught her eye. There was no return address on it, no postage or postmark either. It appeared to have been hand-delivered, possibly by courier. For its size, it seemed heavy. Curious, she tore away the brown paper wrapping, revealing a box bearing a picture of a crock-pot. She shook it. It didn't feel like a crock-pot. The ends had been retaped, too, suggesting the crock-pot had been replaced with something else. She slit the duct tape with her key and opened the flaps. A thick plastic lining encased the contents, some kind of waterproof bag with a zipper. There was no note or card, nothing to reveal the identity of the sender. She unzipped the bag, then froze. Oh, my God. Benjamin Franklin was staring back at her. Hundred-dollar bills, stacks of them. She removed one bundle, then another, laying them side by side on the table. Her hands shook as she counted the bills in one stack. Fifty per stack. Forty stacks. She lowered herself into the chair, staring at the money in quiet disbelief. Someone, an anonymous someone, had sent her two hundred thousand dollars. And she had no idea why. Lazy swirls of orange, pink, and purple hovered on the horizon in the afterglow of another southern Colorado sunset. From the covered wood porch of his boyhood home, 35-year-old Ryan Duffy stared pensively at what seemed like nature's daily reminder that endings could be beautiful. The spectacle slowly faded into darkness, a lonely black sky with no moon or stars. The brief burst of color had nearly fooled him. He felt guilty now for having thought even for a moment that his father might be better off dead. Ryan had supported his father's decision to spend his few remaining days at home. Ryan had set up his father in the rear of the house. A rented hospital bed replaced the rustic pine sofa with forest green cushions. Beyond the big bay window was a vegetable garden with knee-high corn and bushy green tomato plants. Did you get it? His father asked eagerly as Ryan entered the room. Ryan smirked as he took the bottle from a paper sack in his hand. A fifth of Jameson Irish whiskey. His face beamed. Ah, good boy, set him up. He put two glasses on the bed tray in his father's lap, then poured two fingers into each. 
You know the really good thing about Irish whiskey, Ryan? He raised his glass in a toast, smiling wryly. It's Irish. To your health, laddie, he said in an exaggerated brogue. The hand was shaking, Ryan noticed, not from drinking, but from his illness. He was even more pale today than yesterday, and his weakened body seemed shapeless, almost lifeless beneath the wrinkled white sheets. In silence, they belted back one last round together. His father finished with a crooked smile of satisfaction. Be a sport and pour your old man another drink. I don't think you'd better, Dad. Painkillers and alcohol aren't a good mix. Oh, God, you're always so damned responsible, Ryan. What's wrong with that? Nothing. I admire you for it, actually. Wish I were more like you. People always said we're exactly alike, but that's just on the surface. On the inside, where it counts, well... Let's just say that you and I are far more different than you'd think. He paused and placed his glass on the tray. All humor left his face. Do you believe that good people can turn bad? Ryan smiled awkwardly, not sure where this was headed. Why are you asking me this? Because dying men take stock, and I am surely dying. Come on, Dad. Everybody does bad things, Ryan said tentatively. That doesn't make them bad. That's the fundamental difference between you and me, son. You would never have done what I did. Ryan sipped nervously from his empty glass, unsure of what to say, fearing some kind of confession. His father continued, There's an old chest of drawers in the attic. Move it. Beneath the floorboards, I've left something for you. Some money. A lot of it. How much? Two million dollars. <laughs> That's a good one, Dad. In the attic. All these years I thought you kept your millions under the mattress. I'm serious. I blackmailed a man. Someone who deserved it. Dad, cut it out. You were in no position to blackmail anybody. Yes, I was, damn it. He spoke with such force he started a coughing fit. His father was wheezing, gasping between coughs. Ryan pushed the emergency call button for the home care nurse in the next room. She arrived in seconds. Help me, said Ryan. Sit him up straight so he doesn't choke. She did as instructed. After a few deep breaths, the wheezing subsided. Breathing slowly returned to normal. Dr. Duffy, I don't mean to question your professional judgment, but I think your father should rest now. He's had way too much activity for one night. He knew she was right, but his father's eyes gave him pause. I'll be back in the morning, Dad. We can talk then. His father seemed to appreciate the reprieve, as if he had said enough for one night. Ryan pulled away, forcing a meager smile. He started to say, I love you, like he always did, fearful as he was that each conversation might be their last. This time he just turned and left the room, his mind racing. It was inconceivable, really. His father a blackmailer to the tune of two million dollars. But never had Ryan seen his father more serious. It was still dark when Amy woke. The drapes were drawn, but lights from the parking lot made them glow around the edges, the room's only illumination. Her eyes adjusted slowly. The twin bed beside hers was empty, already made. The usual morning noises emerged from the kitchen. Graham was always the first to rise, earlier and earlier with each passing year. 
Amy checked her alarm clock on the nightstand. 5.16 a.m. She's probably fixing lunch by now. Amy slipped on her flannel robe and shuffled toward the kitchen, following the aroma of fresh, strong coffee. "'Morning, dear,' said Graham. She was already dressed. "'Morning,' said Amy. She pulled up a chair at the dining room table. Graham brought her a cup, no cream, two sugars, the way she liked it. "'I've made a decision,' she said, taking the seat across from Amy. "'We'll keep the money, right here.' Amy shook her head. "'This is just too strange. We should call the police. Look,' said Graham." I don't know who sent you this or why. All I know is that it couldn't have happened to a nicer person. So we keep the money, and we wait a couple of weeks. Don't spend any of it, at least for a little while. Maybe in a few days a letter will come in the mail from someone that explains everything. Maybe the mafia will come pounding on the door. Maybe. That's why we're keeping the money right here in our apartment. We just give it back to them. They leave happy, we go on living the way we've always lived. Amy finished her coffee. I don't know... Amy, if it's a gift, we're rich. If some creeps come to claim it, we just give it back. Just wait a couple of weeks, that's all. Graham leaned forward and touched her granddaughter's hand. And, if things work out the way I think they will, you can go back to grad school. You certainly know how to push a girl's buttons. Amy smiled with her eyes, peering over her cup. Where do you want to stash our loot? That's already in the perfect hiding spot. The freezer. The freezer? Graham smirked. Where else would a crazy old woman keep a box of cold, hard cash? <laughs> Ryan spent the night in his old room, fading in and out of sleep, mostly out. 6 a.m., and Ryan had hardly slept. He kept wondering, was it really the combination of booze and painkillers? Talk of blackmail and hordes of cash sounded like hallucinations.